Hey everyone, Brian Zimmerman here, host of Jazz's Backstage Pass. Before we get into today's episode, in which we'll outline six essential jazz guitar albums, I would just like to thank Eric Baldwin, who recently became a monthly sponsor of this podcast. Thanks for making this show possible, Eric. Hey, if you'd like to become a monthly sponsor, just like Eric, you can do so via the link that is in this podcast show notes. All right, now on to today's episodes. Enjoy, everyone. All right. Well, hello, everyone. Brian Zimmerman here, executive editor of Jazz's Magazine, coming to you live with a special edition of Jazz's Live here in the afternoon. We're going to be doing something a little bit different today. We're going to talk about some jazz essentials. And in this case, we're going to be talking about essential jazz guitar recordings that should be in every jazz collect jazz album collectors collection. Uh, now you realize the impossibility of this task. Uh, I limited this number to six. We're going to be talking about the six essential jazz guitar recordings. And look, folks, it is nearly impossible to pick just six recordings, one for each string of the guitar, of course. Uh, I did my best, but I encourage some healthy debate out there on the internet. I'm going to show you my six. I'm going to show you my hand. And then, yeah, I'd love to hear about yours in the comments. And as we walk through each one, do you agree? Do you disagree? What would you leave out? What would you put in? I want to hear all about it. You know, the guitar as an instrument, when it arrived in the late 30s, 1940s, the electric guitar really turned jazz on its head and has been here ever since. Uh, you know, some of the most pioneering, most trailblazing artists were guitarists. Uh, and some of the, you know, most talked about, most discussed, most controversial, most groundbreaking albums were jazz guitar albums. So yes, on this episode, we are going to walk through six essential jazz guitar albums. And I want to hear your opinion as we walk through each one. Let us know in the comments what you think. But without further ado, what do you say we start? Uh, I arranged these chronologically. I didn't you know, rank them in terms of preference. I want to walk through kind of decade by decade. And I figured there was no better place to start then at the beginning, really, with a true pioneer of electric guitar, and that would be Mr. Charlie Christian. So yes, the first album on my list is The Genius of the Electric Guitar by Charlie Christian. This was a compilation album released in 1972 uh, that collected Charlie Christian's recordings from 1939 to 1941. And look, Charlie Christian was not the first musician to play electric guitar in a jazz setting. You know, you could say a lot for Les Paul and Eddie Durham, but he was one of the first to improvise on it as a lead instrument, you know, really put together those single note lines instead of just strumming chords in the background. That's because growing up, Charlie Christian to a, listened to a lot of horn players, you know, Lester Young, Jimmy Lunsford, people like that. He was born in Texas in 1916, and when he started playing, he was really doing things that nobody had ever heard before, imitating these horn players. A talent scout heard him uh, and thought that Benny Goodman, who was arguably the most popular musician in the country at that time, would be interested in including him in his sextet. He arranged an audition. Uh, at first, Benny said, no way, what are you crazy? An electric instrument does not belong in a jazz ensemble. But upon first hearing Charlie Christian play, Benny said, sign him right away. 
I want this kid in my band. Um, and yeah, he played in Benny Goodman's Sextet for a couple years. The genius of Charlie Christian, this album collects those recordings, like I said, recorded primarily from 1939 to 1941, which was the window when he did the bulk of his recording, by the way, Charlie Christian. It was just barely two years. And in those recordings, you can kind of hear Charlie moving jazz from the style that was swing, that was, you know, popular and predominant at the time, to a style that would become known as bebop. His harmonies are a little more progressive, uh, a little more angular. Had he lived, I think he would have been known as one of the architects of bebop alongside Charlie Parker and Dizzy Gillespie and Thelonious Monk and Bud Powell. In fact, there were recordings of Charlie Christian with Dizzy Gillespie and Monk. Um, and you can, again, hear the kind of formation of what would become the bebop language Charlie Christian died early in 1942 at the age of 1925. There was a monument erected to him in his hometown of Texas, but it was discovered later that it was actually in the wrong place. And so some say that he remains buried under a concrete slab. And there have been recent initiatives to change that and get a proper memorial dedicated to, you know, someone who is arguably the father of modern electric jazz guitar, Charlie Christian. Now, there are obvious honorable mentions here. Uh, you know, anything by Django Reinhardt, who, like Charlie, didn't really record any albums per se in his lifetime. You know, a lot of sides, a lot of singles, um, but he would become the subject of countless compilations after his death. I didn't want this to be compilation overload, uh, but you can pick any Django album, really, and it would be a classic. So there's that, an honorable mention for uh, Django Reinhardt. But we will move Right along to number, and by the way, before we move along, Charlie Christian, genius of uh, electric guitar. What do you think? Should it be in there? Should it have not have included? I want to hear in the comments. Uh, and while you're doing that, we will move right along to the second album on the list. Uh, kind of an unconventional pick here. But this one is by Tal Farlow. It is the swinging guitar of Tal Farlow. There it is. Now, this album, in my opinion, is the one that definitively brought the guitar into the bebop era. Um, guitar is the lead instrument on this disc. It's a trio settering with Farlow on guitar, of course, Eddie Costa on piano, and Vinnie Burke on bass. No drums, which is noteworthy. This thing just absolutely swings. Um, Tal is covering songbook standards, Charlie Parker tunes, and it's all at lightning speed. It is all absolutely burning, true bebop. Tal's fingers are all over the fretboard, and that's because he has huge hands. Uh, the old joke is that he could wrap one hand around a telephone pole. Um, and I mentioned it was a controversial pick because Tal Farlow really isn't a household jazz name. A lot of listeners don't know about him. In fact, he barely considered himself a professional jazz musician. He was born in 1921 and was trained as a sign painter. Um, back in the old days, we had to paint window signs by hand. He didn't start playing guitar until he was 21 years old, um, but he was obviously this virtuoso with this great ear for bebop language. He toured with Red Norvo. He played with Charles Mingus. Um, but in 1958, shortly after this very album came out, he retired pretty much, in New Jersey and became a sign painter once again. He would record on and off throughout his career, but uh, during the 50s, my opinion, he was pretty much the torchbearer of electric guitar uh, and really bringing it from the early big band stuff into the small ensemble bebop stuff. So that's it. Hats off to Tal Farlow. I'm going to take a sip here from my Jazz's mug. 
available on the Jazz's store, I should mention, as is this shirt. We've got all kinds of cool merch on the Jazz's store. Uh, check it out. It's on our site, jazzes.com slash store. But while we're at it, we are talking guitar here, folks. I want to move on to the next album on our list. That would be number three. And uh, it's hard to say which one is my favorite on this list, but this one sure makes a strong push. It is Smokin' at the Half Note by guitarist Wes Montgomery, featuring the Winton Kelly Trio. Oh, man. What can we say about Wes Montgomery? He may be the definitive jazz guitar player. I said it was my maybe my favorite album on this list. I can tell you it is surely Pat Metheny's favorite album, and for good reason. Wes Montgomery just pioneered so many techniques of modern guitar. Um, and we should mention we have moved from the 50s into the 60s here. This album was released in 1965. But yeah, Wes pretty much just turned the jazz guitar world on its head from his use of octaves, right? So the same note, but 12 tones apart. Um, one high, one low, his unique strumming technique, using his thumb, his rhythmic accentuation. He was doing things that no one else was doing. It was said that he could make anything with strings swing, including a tennis racket, including a toothbrush, and uh, I don't doubt it. But Wes, it's interesting, was another latecomer, relative latecomer to guitar, started playing six-string guitar in his teens with his brother Monk and Buddy, could not read music, at least that's what some people say. There are videos later that show that he definitely had a knowledge of jazz theory and, and chordal theory. Um, but the story goes he was apparently practicing one night because he had a day job, you know, as a machinist, practicing late, late at night, and his neighbors told him to turn down that racket. Um, and instead of turning the volume down, he decided to play with, play with his thumb. Kind of used his thumb. He said it, some people said he was double-jointed, um, had this knob on his thumb, but he achieved a lot of flexibility, a lot of fluidity out of that technique, and that kind of became his trademark tone. Um, anyway, this album from 1965, Smoking at the Half Note, was essentially Wes Montgomery with the Miles Davis rhythm section of the time. Winton Kelly on piano, Paul Chambers on bass, and Jimmy Cobb on drums. So how can it not swing, people? How can it not swing? Uh, Wes's compositions, Unit 7, 4 on 6, both make an appearance here, and they would, of course, become standards you know, for any jazz guitar player. Um, it is said that Wes's solo on If You Could See Me Now, the second track on the disc, is Pat Metheny's favorite. Um, and the story goes that Pat Metheny, upon hearing Wes Montgomery, kind of set off this spark and set him on his way to becoming Pat Metheny. Um, it was a remarkable period for jazz guitar in the 1960s, by the way. So many of Wes's contemporaries were making incredible music during this time, um, so there are a lot of honorable mentions here, and it breaks my heart that I could not include them all. Grant Green, Idle Moments, right? Kenny Burrell, Midnight Blue, uh, Pat Martino, El Hombre. When I was trying to hack my way through learning jazz guitar, Pat Martino was my hero. Um, and so, yeah, I wish I could have included them all. I want to know from the 60s, which albums would you drop into the list? Let me know in the comments. But uh, we're going to move on now to the 1970s. And I broke my rule here because there was so much going on during the 1970s that I kind of had to pick two albums. But anyway... I had to include some solo guitar in here. You know, it is one of the most beautiful formats in jazz, just a guitarist with their instrument. And if you're going to pick a solo guitar album, it has to be, Christopher kind of read my mind here before we brought it up, Joe Pass Virtuoso uh, from 1973. 
Joe Pass, lucky he was the guitarist in the Oscar Peterson trio for a while and played with vocalist Ella Fitzgerald for a long time. And it was in these groups that he really developed his de dexterity, his amazing technique, and his sensitivity. You know, playing with singers as a guitar player really trains you to be sensitive to the music, to embrace the use of space, kind of open your ears up to new harmonies. Um, so yeah, on this album, he really makes the guitar his orchestra. Between his just beautiful, wonderfully fluid single note lines to his walking bass lines that he'll do on the bottom register to his chord melodies, you know, so playing a chord but having the top note be the melody line, um, his voice leadings. It sounds like there are several guitar players on this album and uh, no. It is just Joe. The album is predominantly Great American Songbook standards. Uh, I think there's there's one original tune here, but Joe Pass is constantly just breaking them down, breaking them apart, exploring them through single note lines. So even though these are familiar melodies, Joe totally makes them his own. Um, so yeah, beautiful stuff for solo guitar. And we, like I said, we had to include a solo guitar. Uh, my vote is Joe Pass Virtuoso. Um, and Bill, thanks for writing in. Bill says, Tal Farlow played the Edmonton Jazz City Festival in the early 80s, the first Canadian jazz festival of note. Unfortunately, Tal appeared a little gassed. Hey, that's all right. Tal Farlow, he, he is, in my opinion, like I said, the torchbearer bringing jazz guitar from the swing era into the bebop era. And uh, for that, we're surely grateful. But thanks for writing in, Bill. Uh, very cool that you got to see Tal. All right, like I said, I broke my rule with the 1970s, had to pick two albums. And so for my second, it's 1970s, we're talking the jazz fusion era. You realize it's an impossible task for me to pick just one jazz fusion guitar album. But if I had to, and I have to, this is my job, folks, it would be Al Demiola's elegant gypsy um just because it is a fusion album in every sense of the term not just jazz rock but jazz flamenco latin jazz uh heavy metal bebop it was a little bit of everything and al demiola was really among the premier fusion players of the time you know what with his stint in chicaria's group with paco de lucia with john mclaughlin um so he is kind of the hub of the fusion guitar wheel during the 1970s. Um, this album is just pure energy music. Its grooves are super deep, um, and that owes a lot to drummers Steve Gadd and Lenny White, who appear on this disc. And Al's guitar is just lightning fast. It's, it's light speed. Uh, the technique is astounding. Race with Devil on the Spanish Highway is like prog rock meets flamenco meets thrash metal meets bop meets jazz. It is incredible, and it was so unlike anything else that was going on at the time. Then you change one track over, and it's Elegant Gypsy Suite, which takes it into another direction that's a little more experimental, has that Pink Floyd vibe, but is still very jazzy, very Latin jazz. Uh, so yeah, there's... There's Al Demiola now. He's still very much doing his thing. As a matter of fact, just released a new Beatles tribute album, and we had him on our live stream show to talk about it. You can find that at jazzes.com. But uh, yeah, for me, 1970s, this is as cool as it gets for jazz guitar, but so many, so, so many honorable mentions. Uh, Jeff Beck, Blow by Blow, Larry Coryell, Spaces, Mahavishnu Orchestra, The Inner Mounting Flame. I mean... I'm sure there are more and people watching, you can absolutely chime in in the comments. Uh, let me know what you think, your kind of favorite jazz guitar album from the 70s one, because let me tell you, 
it is a hard one. And hey, speaking of fusion, I want to let you know about this, our current album, which is out right now. This would be our summer 2020 issue, uh, is all about the age of fusion. There's a nice cover story on Chick Korea in there. Now, this issue has already been mailed to subscribers, should be on their coffee tables as we speak. But we have digitized all the content from this print issue and every print issue and made them into web articles on our website. Uh, you will need a digital subscription to read those articles, but right now we're offering a special subscription rate for Jazz's live viewers. For just 99 cents per month, for three months, you can unlock unlimited digital access. You could read all the articles from this issue in their web versions along with all previous print issues. Plus, we will enroll you to receive a complimentary issue come fall. We are sending out a brand new issue in September 2020 that is all about the art of the album. So things like listening to albums, collecting albums, album cover art, producing albums. It's all in there. I'm really proud of this issue. It's coming out in September. And like I said, you subscribe now. You get the three months of unlimited digital access. Plus, come September, you will be receiving a brand new print issue. Jeff chiming in to say Jeff Black, blow by blow, and Larry Coriel in the 11th house. I totally agree. Like I said, it was impossible for me to pick just one, but you know, from the 1970s, I had to do it. That was, by the way, the fifth album on our list, by the way. So that brings us to, if I did my math right, number six, <laughs> and I really hope I did. Um, but number six had to end on a big note, had to end here. Pat Metheny, still life talking. Um, you knew Pat was going to make the list, I bet. And yeah, it's because this guy really changed the game when he burst onto the scene out of the University of Miami, coming up alongside a young Jaco Pastorius, uh, we should mention. You know, Bright Size Life was his debut album, and the language that he brought to the instrument uh, for that album was just Again, it was unlike anything had ever been heard before. So I guess that's kind of the theme of this list. Game changers who came along and really changed the way things were going on. So I could have went with Bright Size Life. I could have went with Bright Size Life. But uh, I could have went with any Pat Metheny group, really. Uh, the self-titled one that was released on ECM. Um, First Circle. Uh, Letter From Home. But I went with Still Life Talking because I think Pound for Pound, Track for Track, um, it's really just a flawless album. Minwano, the tune that opens the album, is a composition of unmatched brilliance, you know, um, and chalk that up to Pat and his incredible writing partner, Lyle Mays, you know, the keyboardist. I love the Bossa Nova vibe of So It May Secretly Begin. Um, Last Train Home, but like every time I listen to it, it brings a tear to my eye, uh, probably because I associate it with that holiday commercial um, from Publix in the 1990s. Anybody remember that? If you remember that, let me know in the comments because I love that commercial and I love that song even more. But there's not a dull moment on this disc. It, uh, Like I said, it's flawless, track to track. And Pat, what can you say? So fluid. His choice of intervals as he solos uh, was so dynamic, so unconventional. His compositions were almost like folk music they seem so natural they seem so inevitable um you could sing them and once you sing you never forgot them um and that in my mind is the trademark of a master musician a a real genius and i certainly had to end my list this way um getting a few comments there agreeing with pat yeah yeah and again there are so many pat Metheny albums you could choose from um but 
I think this one may be my favorite. Look, if I had more spots on this list of the six essential jazz guitar albums, you would no doubt see albums from George Benson and Mike Stern and Stanley Jordan and Kurt Rosenwinkel and uh, Ben Monder and Peter Bernstein. Uh, but alas, I only have six. So maybe we'll do a part two. Um, yeah, that'll do it for the list, everyone. I hope you enjoyed it. And if you didn't enjoy it, that's fine too. I just want to know which albums you would rather have put in the list of six essential jazz guitar albums. Let me know in the comments and help us spread the word. Thanks for watching, everyone. We will see you next time. So long.